Thanks for coming, Mark. Uh, my name is Knut Peterson. Uh, I'd like to ask you, Mark, uh, do you see any tendency in evil across different cultures or countries, for that matter? I, th I think the label evil, uh, from my point of view, is involved in acts rather than, than uh, people. But uh, I, I personally... You know, I'm having to process this in my mind right now. and um, It's from the perspective of, of uh, as I said, the subjective harm of this. So in some cultures you may find uh, from one point of view more evil, but they may see it uh, in that culture as not at all being evil and uh, perhaps not even being harmful. Uh, there's the joke about the... Uh, the sadist and the masochist, and, and the masochist says to the sadist, hurt me, I love pain, make me feel pain. And the sadist pauses and says, no. <laughs> this relates to the, the subjective nature of, of uh, harm. Hi, Debbie Gregorash. Um, um, tell us what you think about the... Uh, relationship between those who are promoting the tar sands and the government and the Cree living downstream that are suffering as a result of this development? Well, I think what we have to go back to is the statement by C.S. Lewis of the very powerful effect of wanting to be in the inner ring and the fear of being excluded from the inner ring. And he, he goes on in his essay to talk about how uh, one small act can uh, um, allow, you know, to, to bend the rules very slightly. But if, if you commit this small act, then you'll be welcome into the inner ring. And uh, so the people who are promoting the tar sands are a part of one circle, one inner ring, who think it's important to uh, provide energy for the world, for uh, Albertans, Canadians, North Americans, and uh, make a, a decent profit, uh, whereas others believe that, uh, uh, on other values. So uh, th there's two conflicting rings. And uh, um, being, um, if it's important to you to be part of a particular circle, then you certainly see the world differently than if you're in another part in another ring. Hi, my name is Moira Watson, and I, I want to thank you for this excellent talk, Dr. Sandy Lance. Um, I was wondering if you could comment on the one of the components, the de-individualization, and how, how as we move forward as a, an internet and uh, mm -hmm. worldwide community of, of citizens, how that de-individualization is going to happen and how, how, how you see that moving forward and, and further <clears throat> siphoning and, and breaking apart social, social structures. It, it's so easy for me to hide on the internet and, and, and bully somebody. How, how, do we, how do we look at that or how do we deal with that? Well, yes, it's certainly a problem in cyberbullying uh, where you can anonymously uh, um, attack people uh, I read recently that, that uh, Twitter accounts are being regularly uh, uh, falsified and, and so pe some people are finding that, that they have a Twitter account and they're, they're not themselves on Twitter, but somebody else has put their name up. 
Uh, Liam McLaren, I think, in the Globe and Mail wrote an essay about it last week. Um, and uh, cyberbullying on Facebook, I know, is a serious problem um, when people uh, even post pictures of other people. Uh, so it's uh, any time a new technology comes along, uh, there are those who exploit it for uh, nefarious purposes. Uh, going back to uh, you know the, the, the printing press, uh, if you remember, uh, and it happened some years after the printing press, but the uh, so-called uh, Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was used uh, and still is used to, as a, a reason for persecuting Jews, totally a false, uh, fabricated, uh, plagiarized piece of work, but it's the printing press that, that uh, w was used in that. So society develops rules to to deal with uh, the new technologies. Um, the internet uh, is uh, certainly moving very quickly and changing our lives, I think, a great deal. But uh, we, we can, I think, develop ways to, uh, to uh, deal with the problems that arise from it. My name is Van Christou. Uh, thank you, Mark, so much for going back to teaching. <laughs> um, great to be here and be one of, one of your students. Um, at our table, the matter came up regarding uh, evil, the word evil, which we don't hear very often anymore. Uh, there's all sorts of other uh, words that have, have replaced it. It's nice to hear it directly. But the thing that came up at our table was, are we not yet at the stage as human beings, where we can call warfare evil? Well, I think a number of people regularly call uh, warfare evil. Uh, I, I think I count myself among them, and I, I count myself among them, and I think I count you among them. Um, there are those, however, who, again, we go back to the, the inner circles, uh, where some believe that uh, warfare is a, a, a necessary way of dealing with certain segments, uh, certain other groups. So they dehumanize them and uh, turn soldiers loose uh, to uh, uh, commit evil against them, although they don't see it as evil, uh, but the, war, the soldiers themselves, as we found, uh, often come back uh, from uh, the, the events. Uh, there's been uh, accounts in the newspaper. We're just a few uh, weeks past uh, November, actually uh, a week and a bit past November the 11th, when we're, we're starting to hear about the, the soldiers uh, from World War II who never talked about the atrocities that they saw or perhaps even participated in and which affected them throughout their lives. Uh, so uh, um, I guess we can only hope that... that uh, we continue to find different ways besides uh, violence to deal with uh, parts of the world and, and, and uh, segments of society that we're, we don't agree with. My name is uh, Don Ferguson. Uh, thank you, Mark. Um, the experiment that you described in involving the teachers and the students where the teacher could punish the student with up to 450 volts uh, interested me. Uh, the connection that I see now is that we have over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, 
of a very powerful um, federal organization which is involved in doing somewhat the same thing, somewhat different circumstances. And I'm thinking of the RCMP and the use of tasers, or the, more generally the use of tasers by police forces in various constituencies. And uh, what I would like you to address is, with your list of seven influences out there, what has allowed such a large uh, group of people, the police forces in, in particular, Canadian citizens as well, to tolerate this kind of a situation where knowingly we inflict considerable pain on the individual who is tasered. Uh, even the people that taser them apparently are trained in their training. They are, are expected to be tasered themselves so they will realize the amount of pain and the difficulty that they are inflicting upon the so-called victim. Uh, could you relate what's going on to your seven principles up there? Well, first of all, I have to say that the, the, the Milgram study, which you referred to, they didn't actually give 450-volt shocks. Uh, the people giving the shocks, giving in quotes, believed that they were shocking somebody at 450 volts, but nobody was actually getting shocked. Um, the, the person on the other side of the wall, uh, as soon as they shut the door, uh, took off the... Uh, the, the uh, got himself out of the, the, the equipment and started a tape recorder so that the same responses would uh, uh, be heard by everybody, every subject, every learn or every teacher who um, uh, was a part of the experiment. So the, the essence of that was that they thought that they were giving shocks, but they weren't. But uh, the, the use of tasers, uh, I think, actually... Uh, uh, follows many of these uh, social processes um, where the the victims are dehumanized almost in, uh, exclusively they're they're seen as as being somewhat lesser caliber uh, of human beings than the the user of the taser so Robert Jasansky uh, in the Vancouver airport uh, didn't speak English and uh, was acting somewhat strangely um, perhaps because he'd been there for 10 hours uh, without food, uh, maybe not even water, I don't know. Uh, but uh, uh, very often the people are, are uh, victims of tasers are, are sometimes in their police cells. By definition, uh, they're seen by those who put them in the cells as uh, a lower rung of, of humanity. In other words, they're dehumanized. Um, the, uh, the people who are giving the tasers are, are to some extent dehumanized because they're wearing a uniform. Uniforms uh, tend to allow you to be uh, part of a group, and the group directives are, are to handle behavior or handle um, incidents this way. We do have to remember that the original idea of the taser was uh, as an alternative to shooting somebody with a 38 caliber re revolver. But um, what's happened and what's been commented on is that, that the, the boundaries uh, under which this can happen have uh, largely expanded. So as a second to last, the last resort is to shoot somebody. The second to last resort is the taser. But now they're being used, uh, in, if you can believe reports, uh, simply to punish people. 
you know, if you, if you don't uh, stop uh, yelling at us, we're going to taser you. Uh, and this is clearly inappropriate and uh, it calls for uh, uh, strong measures by those in charge or those in charge of those in charge, and we go back to the system um, to... Uh Mark, thanks very much for really a, an analysis that really makes us think and see into a lot of this stuff. I'm going to broaden the context, though, of what is good and what is evil to look at the influence of society at large, the culture. In today's culture, our, our Western culture, I would say the dominant philosophy is relativism. Anything goes. Everybody decides for themselves what is good and evil. Nobody's going to tell me nothing. So we've, to a large part of our society, we've eliminated the idea of absolute values. What is good is what I decide. What is evil, I decide it. So that kind of explains why good people will do evil things. Could you comment? Well, I, I think uh, in my, my definition of evil is, is doing things that are subjectively harmful to other people. Well, what's happened, though, is, is our, as our uh, population density has spiraled and, and uh, um, we, uh, we, we find ourselves aligned with, with uh, perhaps uh, smaller and smaller communities, our sense of community, uh, of being at one with uh, somebody else, is uh, in many ways diminished. So it's easier to dehumanize people and say, well, they deserve the pain <clears throat> or the harm that they're, they're, uh, they're receiving or that I'm giving to them. But uh, um, the, the relativism that you speak of, I think, uh, stops when we say uh, doing harm to others. First, do, do no harm. And if, if uh, we, we allow other people to say, um, it's from my point of view that I'm going to call it harm or not, in other words, subjective harm, uh, there may be, uh, you know, to go back to my joke about the, the uh, sadist and the masochist, there may be no objective way to say something is harmful. Um, the, uh, the, the dentist who uh, drills your teeth and causes perhaps considerable pain um, is uh, in, in some ways doing harm, but, but uh, we all accept that. Uh, same with the surgeon and, and so on and so forth. But uh, our, our sense of community is, I think, diminished in, in, in our uh, headlong rush to um, maximize profit. Uh, when, I, when I grew up, there were, there were community associations all over the place. Uh, something I've always thought about Lethbridge and, and I'm, I'm sad about is there are no community leagues in this city, no places for people to get together. There are some, there are community schools, but uh, you know they, they don't seem to be gathering places. And I, I think we're, we're uh, lesser done by this. Many people prefer smaller towns where everybody knows your business, but on the other hand, there is a sense of community. And that sense of community... Um, I think is is gone in in our uh, much larger cities. Some um, people have observed that the, the our, our our brains are wired to deal with maybe fifty people at a time. The approximate size of the tribes that we evolved in, and once we get beyond fifty, 
it, it becomes difficult to, to know everybody and to relate to everybody as part of a group, of a, part of a, of a community. On the other hand, there are advantages. Uh, with the Internet, we can become part of a community that is dispersed all over the globe. Uh, there is a TV program on uh, just a couple of nights ago called uh, 55 Roses about a young woman who had, uh, I think that's what it was called, 55 Red Roses, who had uh, uh, cystic fibrosis. And 65, right, because she had, 60, she, that's, she couldn't say uh, cystic fibrosis when she was little, so she got as close as she could. She called it 65 Red Roses. Anyway, there is a community, I understand from this video, or this, this television program, of sufferers of cystic fibrosis that they can join and talk to each other. So she, had, she lived in, in uh, the Vancouver area. She had a close friend in Portland and another one somewhere near Cleveland, I think. Is that Massachusetts? I can't remember. Anyway, people can form bonds with people in a wide variety of places. So there's an upside and a downside to this, uh, as is always the case. Um, but uh, I don't think that, that – uh, I think the important thing is the loss of community that, that, that needs to be fostered better by, by our leaders. Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thanks, Mark. Um, <clears throat> one of the studies, there were 10% of the people who managed to keep their own heads on their shoulders and said that the line number C – was the one that was closest to the, uh, the line they were to measure it against. 90% gave up. Um, have we looked at the resiliency factors of those 10%? And is there a way to inoculate people against evil? Um, you know, in the schools we teach children how to deal with bullies. And in our society, when I looked at when I look at those eight lists, your list of, of seven social processes in the list there, um, you know, I think of our healthcare system, and I think of, man, what's happening, and how we're all, our government is using all of those against us. So um, I'm just wondering how how can we turn this around? What what factors are there that are shown by social psychology that we can use? to be aware of when these things are happening to us and to change it? Well, actually, the, uh, the line judging thing um, and in the Milgram study where, where they did find one of the, the graphs, there was 10% uh, only who uh, uh, went all the way on the, uh, to the 450 volts. The, the essential component is the situation. Um, and in that situation, there was an ally. There was somebody else who said, this is crap. I'm not going to go along with this, and, and I am, uh, I'm going to uh, um, get out of this experiment. I don't care what your experiment. I'll give you your $5 back. Um, I'm out of here. And if, if there's an ally, somebody else that believes the same way you do, uh, we, we can overcome the, 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 pr the pressures in the situation to act in an evil fashion. Um, there are um, studies, uh, Lawrence Kohlberg, who studies uh, moral reasoning, has uh, looked at certain kinds of people who are in the Milgram situation 
who right from the start said, what do you mean give shocks to somebody else? Uh, I'm not going to do this, and uh, quit right at the start. Remember, there was 65% in the original condition who went right to the top, 35% uh, who didn't, and many of those dropped out very early. Uh, so we can foster those kinds of things, and Kohlberg has uh, looked at, at, at moral reasoning. But I think an awareness of the social factors, as I was saying at the table, we spend a lot of effort uh, teaching students in our schools about the, uh, the physical elements. Um, I think it's changed now, but we, requi uh, we required science. When, when I w we required chemistry and physics pretty much to get out of high school. Uh, we don't require psychology to get out of, out of high school. What's more important? Uh, knowing that, that uh, you know, uh, uh, oxygen has a carbon weight or a, an atomic weight of 16, or is it the number? I forget which. <coughs> um, um, or, or knowing about the, the, the factors that, that lead to conformity. Um, I, I submit that I think it's more important for schools to learn or to teach in their educational systems to educate us about how the mind works. Uh, you know, the simple processes of, of uh, reinforcement and, and the effect, the powerful effect of partial reinforcement, uh, the, the effects of diffusion of responsibility, how, and I didn't get into these things, but uh, number, uh, number uh, um, seven, tolerance of evil through inaction or indifference. Uh, when when the, the famous Kitty Genovese case, uh, we know that bystanders are more likely to intervene if there's a small number of them or only one of them than if there's a large group of them. Why is that? This is a very robust, in other words, a strong finding in social psychology. Um, if you're worried about getting stranded on the road alone, go on, a, uh, on a, a highway that's only got a little bit of traffic. You're way better going to Calgary on Highway 23, although it's getting busy, uh, than, than going up Highway 2, which has more traffic. Why? If you have a breakdown and there's only one car going by, you're much more likely to have that person stop uh, than if there's you know, cars going by uh, every uh, 30 seconds. Why is that? Because the cars going by think, oh, there'll be somebody else along who's better qualified to help this person. But if you're the only one who can do it, then you're much more likely to stop. These are the phenomena that, that we know about, but uh, students in our schools aren't taught them. Thank you very much, Mark. Um, I'm Frances Schultz. One of the things, it, it was obvious, it's obvious to all of us, the good people and the bad people that you were able to list. But I think that we need to look on a much smaller scale at what's going on around us. And I'm wondering if you would comment on whether we're on a slippery slope with respect to, uh, for example, MLAs having to toe the party line and not be able to represent their constituents. <laughs> well, this gets into a debate of, of the value of a party system versus uh, individual systems and, and you know in Canada we have party systems both provincially and federally and uh, my understanding is in the United States uh, um, uh, members of Congress and senators are much more free to act individually 
The downside of that system is that there, the number of lobbyists in, uh, in Washington is way, way more than the number of lobbyists in Ottawa. There's, there's a number in both places. But um, senators and, and members of Congress are, are notorious for what they call log rolling. In other words, I'll get this piece of legislation passed if you'll get mine passed. And uh, both, you know, the, the defense industries in the United States have a foothold in every single one of the 50 United States. Why is that? Because the defense industries know that if they put a, a defense plant in one state, then uh, that senator or the two senators from that state and the members of Congress will go to bat anytime somebody threatens it. Uh, watch Why We Fight. Uh, the video, it's at the Lethbridge Public Library. So party systems do have their downside, uh, and I think that, that it's important to uh, um, know the, 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 the positive aspects of it. So uh, um, Tommy Douglas said, without a party system, they never would have brought Medicare into Saskatchewan. Um, so there's upsides and downsides. I agree that when uh, the large, a large number of constituents get on an issue and get on their MLAs, and if a number of constituents in a number of, of uh, places get on their, their respective MLAs, then governments uh, in their parties do change their minds. So if you have a particular issue you're concerned about, 310 the government right number, ask to speak to your MLA or your pre the premier or the minister in charge, whatever, and give them a piece of your mind and tell all your friends to do it and sit down and write a letter by hand because that uh, has way more power. So uh, that, that's how we change things. We will have the last question, please. Uh, my name is Grace. I'm wondering if you can explain the seven social processes that lead to evil in individual like the Jeffrey Dahmers and uh, Olson and people like that, uh, how do we? How do they get to be evil if there's no? If all these other things aren't part of it? Yeah, good question, Ray. Um, we have uh, um, Jeffrey Dahmer. We have there's a recent one actually. Um, somebody discovered. Uh, um, I can't remember what the count is, but over a dozen bodies in some house in. Where is that, Chicago? or uh, Anyway, uh, absolutely uh, astounding, um, shocking. Uh, we have the, the fellow in uh, Merritt, B.C., who killed his own children and then ran off into the bushes hoping to kill himself. These are mentally ill people. Um, one of the factors that leads them to commit, uh, besides the, the, the acts themselves, is, I think, the, the dehumanization so they, they see themselves as, as uh, being better. So um, what's the name of the, uh, Robert Picton in Vancouver who uh, allegedly killed uh, 20 or 30 prostitutes uh, saw the, the uh, I suspect, saw the prostitutes as uh, on a lower rung of humanity than he was. Um, so um, whether it's mental illness uh, voices telling them to do things, schizophrenia, in rare cases, can lead people to commit uh, e what we acts that we call evil. They don't see them as evil because uh, they're seeing reality in a very different and twisted way. 
So we, this system, does, my, my, my uh, uh, lecture uh, directs why good people can lead to evil. And uh, surprisingly good people, you think they'd never do that. Um, if, if you think the, uh, you know, the Milgram study, only if uh, nobody at the start of it would have thought that they would have gone to 450 volts, but 66% do. We often think that we're, uh, we're uh, separate from these, these constraints on our behavior, that we will be able to resist these, but the point is that these forces are very powerful, they're very insidious, most people don't understand them very well, and we can be led to uh, commit uh, acts that, uh, in retrospect, would be considered to be evil.